Well, let's dig right in uh, to our series on the small book with big ideas and uh, a book that just will help us know what we need to know. Uh, this book is written by the Apostle John. And as I've read this book over and over again, I've come to the conclusion that he has four big ideas he wants us to really understand. And the first big idea he has for us, first reason he's written this book, 1 John 1 and verse 4, is so that we may have complete joy. So we may have full, complete, perfect joy, so that our joy may be full. Friends, we're not meant to live our Christian lives in the doldrums. We're meant to experience full, perfect, complete joy. Full, perfect, complete joy. I uh, have learned some things in life. And one of them is the advantage of having a gas tank that is really close to full. I learned some of those things the hard way. I remember one evening at about nine o'clock, uh, after having attended a half a day of of services and fun at Manhattan Beach Camp in southwestern Manitoba. Getting in the truck in the van to head home with five kids in the back seat and my wife beside me and not being overly concerned because I still had a sixteenth of a tank of gas. What I didn't know is that there's not a gas station open in southwestern Manitoba after seven o'clock at night. I drove a hundred kilometers with the needle saying empty. But you can't go on empty forever. You can't go on empty forever. <laughs> and at some point there was this sputter Butter, plunk, plunk, sputter, and I found myself in the middle of nowhere in absolute darkness because I hadn't thought it was important for my tank to be full. I uh, learned that night that walking around in the darkness trying to find gas and get your tank full is no fun at all. Especially when your wife is upset with you. 
And even worse, you've got some church family kids in the back of the van and there's no cell phone and no way to let them know you're going to be a bit late. God doesn't want us living our Christian lives on empty. Empty can get you, leave you, put you in very dark places. John writes this letter to us so that our joy may be complete, perfect, full. That's God's heart for us, is to have full, complete joy. So, so how do you get there? I think there's a series of choices that John invites us to make in, in 1 John that, that if we make them, helps us enter into this full and perfect joy. And they all start with that, that phrase, if we, if we, and there, there's five of them here, uh, these if we choices that make us lead, that lead us to complete perfect, perfect joy. And the first one we find is in verse number six. Verse number six, if we choose to walk in fellowship with him, we will have complete joy. Friends, that's a choice you have to make. It's a choice you have to make. But if we choose to walk in fellowship with him, we enter into fullness of joy. If we don't choose to walk in fellowship with him, we end up walking in darkness. And take it from me, walking in darkness in the middle of the night, looking how, figuring out how you can get your tank full is no fun. God's got better plans for you. Secondly, if we... Choose, if we too, number two, click. If we walk in the light, we'll have fullness of joy. There's far more joy in the light than there is in the darkness. Number three, if we speak the truth to ourselves, uh, verse number eight, let me, uh, let me read it to you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you are telling yourself a lie and building, yourself, building your life on a lie, you're not going to walk in fullness of joy. We have to speak truth to ourselves. If we for, if we confess our sins, uh, we'll walk in fullness of joy. One of the big things the enemy wants to do in your life is have you in con condemnation. He wants to be bringing up things all the time and trying to steal your joy. He's come to rob your joy. It's what he wants to do. You need to understand the truth of Scripture and build your life on it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to build our lives on that. If you believe a lie, the enemy is going to be able to take your joy in. He's going to be able to open up the door and say, remember, remember, remember. Don't let him do that. Don't let him do that. 
you're going to have fullness of joy, you have to understand that if you've confessed your sins to the Lord, those sins have been dealt with and they are gone. And that deserves a thank you, Jesus, or a hallelujah, or at least that's okay, Pastor. I'm glad you said that. Amen. <laughs> thank you, Paul. And the last if we... If we say we've not sinned, uh, we call God a liar, and you can't enter into fullness of joy uh, if you're living like that. So I was at, up at Elk Ridge for three days this week and uh, spent a lot of time missing sessions doing other stuff, but I got to one session and the speaker took us to Romans chapter uh, 4, verses 8 and 9. Let me read it to you uh, from uh, the New Living Translation. Verse 7 and 8. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. <laughs> How do you get joy? You understand the great work God has done in your heart and in your life. So that's the first thing that, uh, that John talks about. It must be two years ago now that our staff uh, took part in a, in a little teaching time about self-care. And I've kind of reworked some of the stuff that was taught, and I've, I've uh, named what was taught the TFB cycle, the TFB cycle. And I just want to talk to you about this a little bit. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but when I, when I woke up this morning and uh, I... Uh, went to the family room to kind of pray and prepare for this evening. My day timer opened to my notes on this. So I looked at it and said, boy, maybe this is something we need to talk about tonight. So what is the TFB cycle? Well, the TFB cycle starts with, and the first circle, the reality that thoughts create feelings. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings. So where do your feelings come from? Your thoughts. Your thought life is really important. Learning to think well really, really matters. So thoughts create feelings. And those thoughts then uh, have an action. No, go back one slide, sorry. The feelings create behavior. So as a result of feeling a certain way, uh, we begin to have certain behaviors. Now, in the home our boys grow up, grew up in, we had a very regular occurrence called the smoke alarm going off. I don't think very often we went at least two weeks, more than two weeks without the smoke alarm going off and going off really good and really frustratingly loud. 
And we got really good at getting that thing off. The boys knew where to go. One grabbed a towel and started waving it under the smoke alarm. Two went and opened the front and back door like this. And we just got all the fans on and eventually the smoke alarm turned off. But the smoke alarm wasn't the problem. <laughs> The behavior of the smoke alarm wasn't the problem. The problem was back somewhere else. We weren't looking after uh, things like the toaster. Sometimes we forgot there was food on the stove. And it was the fires that we were creating that was making the smoke alarm go off. And friends, it's our thoughts that create behaviors in our life. Thoughts create feelings, feelings create behavior, and then uh, the behavior reinforces the thoughts, so we keep thinking them over and over again. And what the Apostle John is trying to say to us here, man, if you want to enter into everything that God has for you, you've got to think right. You can't allow the enemy to deceive you. You cannot allow yourself uh, to believe lies. You can't allow yourself to say, I don't have any problem here. The problem is with everyone else. We have to think clearly. And when we think clearly, it creates the right feelings. The joy comes. And the joy then creates uh, better behaviors and better actions. So, so John is talking about that here. And then he moves on to the second great truth, uh, big idea in the book of 1 John. William Barclay calls 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is what he had to say about them. There are hardly any other two verses in the New Testament which so succinctly, so succinctly set out the work of Christ. There are hardly any other two verses in the New Testament which so succinctly set out the work of Christ. Let me read them to you, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the second big idea in this book. And it starts with the phrase, my little children. <laughs> John's an old guy now. He's well into his 90s, maybe getting close to 100. And he hasn't become a mean, old, crotchety guy. He loves the church, and he loves the people in the church, and he, he loves the people that he's had the privilege of leading to the Lord. He says, my little children, my little children. 
And in that conversation, he's talking about, uh, about sin a lot. Matter of fact, from verses 7 to, of chapter 1 to verse, the end of verse number 2, I think uh, if you look at the screen, this word sin or it's one of its derivatives comes up nine times. Now, we live in a culture that doesn't talk about sin. But John is talking about sin here. Nine times, all sin, no sin, our sins, our sins, not sin, may not sin, does sin, our sins, the sins of the whole world. He's talking about sin. This is a really important subject. So I want to chat about four things we need to know about sin. And the first thing we need to do in this chat is define sin. Define sin. What is sin? Because we don't talk about it, we better get a definition here. 1 John 3 and verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is... This is a really short, concise definition. Sin is lawlessness. It's a refusal to submit, come under the authority of God's word. So, oh, well, that doesn't matter. I don't agree with that. I know the Bible sort of says that, but, but my friends think it really means sin is lawlessness. So God's word says, train up your children in the way they should go. And we say, yeah, but I'm not going to be too worried about that. I, I got other things I want my kids. I want my kids to be, be really good at math. You know what that is? That is sin. Sin is any time you don't bring yourself under the authority, under the direction of God's word. Sin is insubordination to God. Sin is not paying attention to his will, his ways, his word, his purposes. Sin is lawlessness. So we got a definition of sin. Now the second thing we need to know about sin is that, uh, go back a slide please. Uh, go, go, go down one now. Sin is universal, sorry. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, what are we doing? We are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Truth of the matter is, sin is a universal problem. 
Much of what we believe in our culture comes from TV shows and movies. And I invite you to watch those with a critical eye. And the vast majority of them are going to be trying to convince you that people are intrinsically good. The vast majority of them. But the truth is, and you can't live a fulfilled, joyful life until you confront the truth and believe the truth and live in the truth. The truth is, we are all sinners. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. You can't build your life on a lie. <laughs> and enter into the full, complete, perfect joy God wants you to be enjoying. So, Pastor Yasmin did a good job on this last weekend. We, we announce every once in a while to people that we're not perfect. As if we have some news flash to share. Friends, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. We've all sinned. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's best for us. The word sin and language changes and we lose the depth of some, some meaning of things because language changes. But when the archer went out and shot his bow, he did one of two things. If he hit the bullseye, everybody cheered. Hit the bullseye! Good work! Wow! Yay! And if he missed the bullseye, do you know what they said he did or she did? Oh, you sinned. Oh, you sinned. That's the only two places the arrow could go. You either hit the bullseye or you sinned. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. And we've all fallen short of God's glory. Sin is universal. Number three. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. You read verses 7 to 10 in chapter 1, and you can come up with kind of a couple of conclusions, both of which are wrong and dangerous. And the first one is you can read that and, and, and you can conclude and think to yourself, yeah, well, obviously everyone sins. We all do it. No one escapes. We're all sinners. So what's the big deal? We're all sinners. No big deal. 
And the other conclusion some would come to, and a lot of the Gnostics came to this conclusion, was, what are you writing here, John? I, I, I got nothing I need to be purified from. I got my stuff together. God's already moved me into this wonderful realm where I, I don't have any sin. Both of those extremes are, are dangerous. Everybody sins, so it's no big deal. I got it mastered, so I'm a good person. That's dangerous. And then the second danger here is to say, what's the big deal with sin here? Jesus forgives my sin, so I'll just sin as much as I want to, and all I have to do every night is, is, is kneel down beside my bed and, and ask God to forgive me and confess it, and then it all goes away. And John says, in the midst of all of this, no, 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 guys. No, 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 guys. He says, this is serious stuff. I'm writing you this book so that you may not sin. I'm writing you this book so that you may not sin. In John's eyes, sin is nothing you take lightly. Sin is serious stuff. So fourth thing and, and final thing about sin is there is forgiveness for sin. There is forgiveness for sin. There's nothing, friends, more serious in your life than insubordination to God. There's nothing more serious in my life than insubordination to God. Thinking I can somehow convince him I'm extra nice and I deserve passes on sin. There's nothing more serious than insubordination. We need to, as Christians, recognize God's heart for us is to not sin. Are we going to sin? Yes. Then those other verses, verses click in, but our attitude is never, ah, another day, going to live hearty and, and sin strongly. We don't live like that. We get up in the morning humbly before him and we say, oh God, oh God, help me today that I may not sin. John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But then he goes on and he says, if anyone does sin, <laughs> that's me for sure. And unless you're still calling God a liar, that's you too. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
I like Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 as well. It made Jesus to be like his brothers in every respect. Jesus is our elder brother. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Anybody... Uh, here, use the word propitiation this week. Any of you even know how to pronounce it before I said it? Jesus Christ has been made the propitiation for our sins. And, and one of the challenges here is language, change, language changes over time. Propitiation is related to the word propitious. Anybody say propitious this week in a sentence? No, it's, it's not a word we use. But in the 1800s, early 1800s, propitious was a very, very, very common word. Uh, you're ahead of me, Pastor Ethan. Propitious is a very, very common word. Early 1800s. By the beginning of the 1900s, the graph actually through the, 18th, the 19th century just goes right down like this. Beginning of the 19th century, propitious hardly ever shows up in the English language. By the beginning of the uh, 21st century, it's almost disappeared. So we don't know this word. But let me show you now, Pastor Ethan, how it's used in some ancient literature. Uh, here's a sentence. There were points on which they did not agree Moments in which she did not seem propitious. So when is something propitious? When people aren't in agreement. Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins. What's the definition of propitiation? The act of peace, making it one. So once Christ becomes your propitiation, you become blessed by the atonement, the atonement. We become at one with God. We were once enemies, but Jesus came and paid the price for our sins, and we experience propitiation. We are at one. We are at peace with God. And then the second word that's interesting here is this word advocate. Advocate. Jesus became not only, not only is he the propitiation in verse number two, he's the advocate. Now that's a word we're more familiar with. Jesus is our lawyer. So I want you to get this picture. You're in the throne room of heaven. God's sitting at his big throne. And it's your turn to stand beside him. And uh, Jesus does all the talking. And Jesus says, Dad, don't hold prisoners into his charge. Remember, Dad? I paid the price. 
I did the time. Every one of his sins has been paid for by me. Dad, he's good in your eyes because of what I did remember. Jesus becomes our advocate, our defender, the one who stands up for us. William Barclay is right. These are two powerful verses with so much to say to us. I'm going to invite us all to stand. And I want you to hear what God's Word says to you about sin. Would you listen to the Word of God? Would you listen to the Holy Spirit now? Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no in whom the Lord counts no iniquity. In his spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, when I didn't get real with my sin, my bones wasted away. I was groaning all day long. There's no joy there, friends. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But then, but then, but then, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That's who you take your sins to. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what the Lord has done for us. He's the propitiation. The propitiation for our sins. Friends, we ought to celebrate it tonight. We ought to celebrate it tonight. So the worship band comes along to help us. I'm just going to ask that we get the house lights turned up a little bit and that everybody would would bow their heads and, and close their eyes. You're here this evening. And maybe you'd say, uh, I, 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 uh, 
I've been missing so much in, in my life. My life has been far from full and far, far from complete. But I want to change that this evening. I want to enter into the full, complete, perfect joy Christ has for me. And friends, it only comes by getting real with Jesus and acknowledging that we're sinners and asking him to forgive us and asking him to forgive us. You're here tonight and say, I, I've been kind of thinking if I went to church enough and did enough good works that it would solve everything. But I want to change that tonight. I just want to get real and stop deceiving myself and acknowledge that I'm a sinner and that I need to give my life to Jesus and ask him to forgive my sins. How many of you, as heads are bowed across the sanctuary, would raise your hand and, and even right now say, yeah, that's what I need to do. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, I need to do that this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you. Father, from the coffee corner through to this sanctuary, we come to you now. Lord, we acknowledge that at times we've been trying to impress you with our goodness. Lord, that we haven't been honest with ourselves, but tonight we get honest and we say, yes, Lord, I have sinned. I've come short of the mark. I haven't hit things on the bullseye of sin. We confess that to you now, Lord. We give it to you now. And right now, Lord, we thank you that in each of these hearts, the blood of Jesus Christ is just coming and cleansing from all sin, cleansing from all sin, and absolutely everything without exception, without exception, Absolutely every sin is forgiven. We rejoice in your goodness now. We thank you, Jesus, for being the propitiation for our sin. We receive your gift. We receive the gift of forgiveness. We receive eternal life. In Jesus' beautiful name.